we're going to start singing, we got to start recording. It works elsewhere. It doesn't work here. This is true. I don't even bother trying. It was, I, I got, it's so, yeah. Uh, Greetings and welcome to another potentially useful TCAPS Loop EdTech podcast. My name is Larry Burden and she's taking career advice from the Merovingian. It's Danielle Brostrom. And he's just taken a temp job with Skynet. It's David Noller. All right, as always, we begin the pod by taking a deep breath, and I know you didn't get the reference, uh, and pondering another TCAPS Loop moment of zen. I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. You know, Larry. Yes. A moment of Zen is a great way to take a break from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. It can be a great way to relax and find peace in the present moment. Taking a few moments just to be in the moment can help to reduce stress and anxiety and can help to bring clarity and focus to our lives. Thank you for sharing this moment of Zen with us. That's a chat GPT, isn't it? That is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Way to AI the intro, Noeller. Thank you. Boom. Nailed it. I, I may I may I may be irrelevant <laughs> to this podcast you, now, and that's okay. You may or may not have looked completely confused about what was going on. Well, I was trying to figure out, I'm like, at first I was trying to decide if I knew what the reference was. <laughs> You know, if this is actually from a, a thing, and then no, no, it was no, just. It's from GPT three. I asked it write a response to a moment of Zen. Nailed it. Good prep work, David. Yeah, yeah. solid. All right, so we're here to talk about that specifically, and I'm I am I'm looking for you to teach me what this is. I did a, like the smallest amount of research on it just so I had some kind of a clue what we were going to talk about, but why are we talking about this? Okay, so can I give the background about ChatGPT first sure. before we talk about how it changes education? So ChatGPT was released by a company called OpenAI, and they create a lot of interesting AI tools, so AI for artificial intelligence. This is an AI chatbot. So you go to the website, you put in your text, just like you would type in any other messaging program, and it talks with you. It responds. It gives you what you're asking for. Um, it's created differently than a search engine like Google. So Google's going to scour the web to find your answer. So if you ask it, Google, um, who is RBG? You're going to get redirected to websites about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. If you ask chat GPT that same question, it's going to do it a little differently. It uses what's called a large language model. So it collects bits of information and text from websites across the internet. So uh, blogs, websites, social media posts, all of it. It kind of collects them into a database. It maps the information and the language patterns. So when you ask chat GPT a question, it's going to sift through all that mapping information and try to predict like what's going to be the next word in this response to formulate a smart answer to your question. That's kind of where we're at right now. This isn't new technology. It's been out for a couple of years, but the interface, the new web interface and the fact that it's free has kind of brought it to the news cycle right now. I just asked it to tell me a joke. I don't know that I knew the large language, what would you call it? Large, it's called the large language model. Large language model. I didn't know that. I discovered that, well, because Danielle turned me on to this thing and I just started playing with it. And I tried to get it to tell me a joke and it tried. But basically it told me that 
I'm not programmed to tell jokes. So it ultimately failed. But it put it in it. What did GPT-3 say when it was asked to tell a joke? I'm sorry, I'm not programmed to tell jokes. <laughs> so it tried. So what is ChatGPT really good for that we found so far? Like, I think it's really good at explaining concepts at an easier level. Sure. If I tell it to explain the Fibonacci sequence to a first grader, it's going to really dial it down at something that I could tell my child and she would kind of understand the Fibonacci sequence. It's good at funny, funny stuff. I mean, that's all over the internet right now, mm-hmm. right? Like, write a story about a dog who fights giant carrots on the moon, and it'll shoot that back at you. And it's not going to be the best writing you've ever read, but it's going right. to be creative. It'd be kind of funny. So one of the other things that it can do, on a serious note, is I have some students whose writing is almost in- incomprehensible. Just grammar, spelling, the whole deal. And I can put in um, writing and say, correct the grammar in this passage and paste it in, and it will correct grammar and spelling. At least it'll do the best it can. And it actually does some interesting things. I tried this today with a student of mine who's not a bad writer. He's not a great writer. He's very middle of the road. But we've been working on some transitional models and combining sentences with semicolons and some other uh, techniques. And that's a thing he's not getting yet. And when I put his model into the AI and I said, correct the grammar for this writing passage, it found and corrected those examples. And then the the usefulness of that is if I can have a student do that and compare the output to his input where he can see from his own text generation Where is the AI picking up that I'm making grammatical or spelling errors? And I can see those things repeated and I can see a pattern in my own writing of where I make those errors. The student could actually self-diagnose or at least take the word of his teacher whom he might not believe entirely because he's his teacher and he doesn't have to do what he says anyway, (laughs) right? There's something else. There's another support saying, yes, this is correct. Another voice in the room. Right? Yeah. Um, And the kid doesn't even have to raise his hand to admit error to find it, which is an interesting thing to think about in terms of those kids that are hesitant to ask for help. Well, what if I could just put it into an AI machine and it can tell me where I'm wrong? One of the things I'm, I've been thinking about with this is I know as an English teacher, my initial instinct is, oh, no, we, we, can, never, we can never use this with our kids. Kids can- are going to use it to cheat. Right. 100%. Right. Why not? But, well, because... Uh, there's a number of different reasons for uh, answers for that. Um, one is just a simple comparison to the calculator. Before calculators exist, we did all our math by hand. Then calculators came along and made it easy for us to confirm uh, predictions or our hand calculations of what the answer was going to be in a math problem. I don't know how much prediction is done anymore. We just go straight to the calculator because it gives us an accurate response. So I kind of view this in some ways as a linguistic calculator in terms of how do I express this idea clearly and succinctly with proper grammar? If I can use AI to help me do that as a student, why wouldn't I? It's chopping down a tree with a chainsaw versus an axe. Why would you use the axe? Right, right. And the question of why students should use it 
Um, it's actually a great question and one that deserves a thoughtful response. Um, as a general rule, students should not be allowed to use artificial intelligence websites to write their essays because it can lead to plagiarism. Cheating. Cheating. However, there are some potential benefits to students using artificial intelligence. First, websites can provide students with more efficient research capabilities. By using an AI-based search engine, for example, students can quickly search for relevant information on topics they're writing about. This can save them time and effort in terms of finding and organizing the information that they need. Okay, pause there, though, David. So, But, but the AI is not done explaining why it's a good stop. resource. <laughs> stop reading directly from ChatGPT. This is where I think we need to remember to teach kids how to synthesize information. Oh, absolutely. Because just because Chat, Chat GPT or whatever random AI text generator you're using is scouring the internet, it doesn't mean it's giving you accurate information. Right. And when I ask it to compose a response to something, it writes something that's pretty poor. Pretty poor writing level or pretty poor content? Pretty Both. Um, there's a definite pattern to it. It's first, second, third in conclusion. Um, it tends to have the same kind of kind of chat, like formal, I would call it like a, a weekly formal speak. Very limited in terms of language. Paragraphs tend to be two to three sentences long. Like I told it to write me a five-paragraph essay that was 1,500 words long. And I put in all these parameters, comparing a couple characters from um, east of Eden, I think. And it got up to about 425 words, and each paragraph was two to three sentences. And it was very general and very – it very much did not complete the task. So I, I took, like, assignments that I would give kids and asked GPT-3 to, to do it, and none of them were very good. Or I should rephrase that. None of them were any good. Now, what it does do is provide a structure for the students maybe to be able to follow if they're completely stuck. And they put my prompt into GPT-3, and it's got first, second, third, in conclusion, and it's got maybe a starting point for each of those paragraphs. Then maybe the student can work within that model to flesh it out, to bring in evidence, to bring in their point of view. But in terms of relying on it just to, quote, cheat, it wouldn't be successful. So, David, you see this as a tool that students can use, that students should be using. How do you feel? I think it's really useful for students who struggle with basic concepts of sentence and paragraph structure, for one thing. Like the student I mentioned earlier, I would love for her to have access to this so that she can try to even see what she's trying to say. Because I know she's got good ideas. I know she's trying to express something that's meaningful and valuable. But she has such a hard time getting those things into a printed language mode that something like this could really help her because she can recognize, right, the language, but she can't produce it as well. And like in math with our calculator, if the important thing is to get to, you know, what's six times nine, well, beep, beep, boop, 54, sometimes what we want our kids to do is to be able to produce a meaningful piece of writing. And maybe if they have a little help along the way with an AI generator that helps them get there, it's better than having them sit there 
and not be able to produce anything because they just don't have that first step. It's a radical idea, Mr. Noller. It is radical. I bet you not every teacher would be on board with that. I bet you they would not. <laughs> I bet that would result in a lot of, that's just cheating. But I don't, I don't believe that to be the case. Isn't that what a teacher is attempting to do anyway? You know, when you, I'm thinking about a form letter. Yeah. Very structured, seems like chat GPT, mm -hmm. is that what it is? Yeah. Would be very useful in helping a student structure a form letter. What a teacher typically does with a form letter is shows them on a pre, in a presentation how to structure a form letter. This is basically doing it, except it's on a, sc a screen that's closer to the student in a screen that they're more able to interact with so that the student can get directly to the content that they need to learn. It reminds me of when Photomath first came out. It, remember, Photomath was where you could put in the equation and it would script out the entire, the step-by-step -step how mm -hmm. to solve it for you. Math teachers were like, whoa, block it. Kids can't use that. Oh my gosh. Right. And then like a week later, <laughs> a couple weeks later, a little while later, as we started to see kids using it more and more, it became kind of a, okay, I need to write different questions to see if my kids actually understand it instead of just doing the basic calculations. I think the same thing with chat GPT, David, like the questions that teachers are asking, if you're going to write, if you're going to bury your head in the sand and say this, I no, block it, block it. Well, it's too late. It's already here. The toothpaste is out of the tube. It, it's totally. The kids can use it at home. They can't use it on our network, but they can use it at home. They, We need to teach them how to live in a world of AI. Stop chat GPTing me. <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, we do. We If we ask low-level basic questions that require kids to structure a five-paragraph essay of 1,500 words explaining blah, 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 we're going to get lame answers from ChatGPT <laughs> copied and pasted every time. Right. And that's why throughout my years in this field of doing educational technology, when we, we've come up against this question of cheating how many million times, right? It's whenever the, the internet came out, cheating, um, Moodle and all these things, cheating, shared documents, cheating. Translators. Translators, cheating. We've come up against this a million times. And, and and to be honest, we've just gone past it. It's amazing how quickly it goes from cheating to that's the most useful tool we've got. My, my reminder to those teachers was always ask better questions. You know, if there's a question that can be Googled, you maybe you're asking the wrong question. So one of the things that I've always done in my career in teaching literature is making connections between old literature and contemporary problems and making it very local, like things that are happening here. And so today, when we were reading about Ralph Waldo Emerson's uh, self-reliance, I asked them what Emerson's comment about um, consistency being the hobgoblin of little minds has to do with a modern expression where the only thing that replaces science is better science. How are those two ideas connected? You can't Google that. <laughs> it's there's not a Google answer out there. Now maybe ChatGPT would give some hints or some guesses with that. But it's a better question. They have a final exam coming up and I'm going to be asking them to use all of the not all of them, but they're going to be call, pulling from the texts that we've read throughout the year to talk about why and how the reading of Fiction, nonfiction, poetry, and drama is useful in a contemporary 
uh, society. How is reading that kind of thing useful? And they're going to be needing to refer back to those documents. They're not going to find that Googled anywhere. It's, that's a question that Noller asks them. <laughs> so, But can they have it AI generated? Let's find out. You work on that. But I do think the big four, the things that GPT is bad at, so humanity, voice, empathy, and context, those are the things that we need to make sure are in the questions that we're asking so that we, we can get authentic responses from students. And I do think we need to, going back to the question I asked you earlier, I do think we need to have these discussions with kids. I think we need to be talking about how this AI that's already here, how it can be used in a way that's ethically and morally appropriate. That's the question that I would like to maybe talk a little bit more about, which is probably, a, you know, a larger question. At first, or definitely agree with the fact that this is here, the toothpaste is out of the tube, and it can be a very useful tool. Now, we do have to have maybe ask some questions, and I think it's very important that educators are not saying, let's stop it, but are actually involved in the conversation about how it's used and how it's developed, because I think there are some ethical questions about where the information the AI is generating from is actually mined. There's, there's questions of intellectual property. There's questions of if it's just scouring the internet, is the information that it's gathering appropriate slash correct? And then defining what correct is, is certainly something that we, we are having some significant difficulties in defining right now. So the more people that we have in the room, considering those issues, the better the product that is inevitable is going to be. I view it, in terms of the what you're bringing up, I'm thinking back to when Wikipedia was brand new. That, you know, how can we have a living encyclopedia if anybody can be in charge of the content? And then gradually over time, with all the citations and all of the, the monitoring that goes on and the... what. I always tell my students, Wikipedia shouldn't be your only source, but it can tell you about some places you can go by looking at the references that are at the bottom of the page. And in terms of where it's getting its information, it sounds like it's just sort of reaching out. And this is what I think is the weakness in it and why it should be used not as a way to do anything, but as a way to get started on something. Okay, so I just, for example, I just uh, GPT'd my... My question about don't use it as a verb. <laughs> you just GPT'd it. It's I like, googled it. I just said that earlier is too. Is Google a verb? Stop using those as verbs. No. Yeah, it is. I it put is. it into this artificial intelligence. It's tool. now actually in the dictionary oh, as a verb. Gross. It's a proper verb. It's weird. Gross. So fiction and poetry can be useful in discussing real life issues in a number of ways. It then gives me three points by illuminating the underlying causes of issues. Now, oh, I first like that of all, sentence. none of my students would ever say that. Voice. I, I know my writers by exploring the emotional impact of issues. Fiction and poetry can help readers to understand the emotional toll that issues such as slavery, inequality, and injustice can have on individuals and communities. None of my writers would say that. It's just not their language. From the teacher's point of view, if I know my writers, I can recognize when they're trying to pull a fast one. And I don't know if you if you saw um, the post from Sarah Wood today. She posted a AI text generator like tester. What do I want to call that? 
It's huggingface.co slash openai dash detector. What a great hugging face URL, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I've tested that out several times. I generated AI text, I put it in there, and it came back. It tells you what percentage it is, likelihood that it's fake. And all the ones that I tested that were AI generated were like 99.8% AI generated. So along with the technology that's coming out saying that, you know, here's a way you can do something, there's also another technology coming out saying, and you can check that if you want to. You know, I think that there's a number of things going on. As a way for students to be able to check their own work and recognize their own patterns, especially if you use it reflectively, like, hey, kids, now that we've done this, I asked you to use this particular strategy, this grammatical whatever. Now I want you to put that into the AI machine and tell it to correct your grammar. And then I want you to examine how many times you missed that uh, coordinating conjunction where you're supposed to have a comma and a conjunction together. I want, to, I want you to see how many times you missed that or where you were successful. And then we can reflect on how well you did or did not meet that expectation so that next time you'll be more aware of it. I think that would be, frankly, more engaging, and I can have more control of that in the classroom in terms of how we spend our time than when I just simply evaluate a student work and then say, make sure you look at my comments, because guess how many of them do? It's it's none, Larry. There's always that one. Come on. There's, there's always that maybe one. That there's one always that two, one. But it was funnier to, to lower yeah, my voice. Yeah. My initial reaction is, no way can we can we do this. My on reflection is, this could be really, really useful. Where I see it being especially problematic is actually in world language, because it's way smarter about translating than Google is. Way smarter about translating, at least from Spanish, from the examples I looked at. However, that's where their curriculum expectations come into view. Writing is only one part of their curriculum. They also have listening, speaking. Uh, what is it? Writing, reading, listening, speaking. If a kid is showing A++ in writing, but he can't say anything, <laughs> there's probably something going on there. And I would also argue, you know, if he's reflecting at all on the language and being exposed to it, it's not so bad either. <laughs> yeah. well, to, some, to some extent. So I watched the World Cup, the entire World Cup, soccer World Cup. Good for you. On Telemundo. Good for you. And I actually picked up a little Yay. Spanish. It was fabulous. Pelota. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yep. One of my favorite friends um, is an English teacher, and her first reaction of, oh my gosh, I felt the earth move under my feet today, kind of made me stop. Like, oh man. You know, she saw this tool changing her entire world and everything she does, and what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a first reaction for a lot of, of us. I mean, I even thought it when I first saw it too, like, oh my goodness. But it's here. So how do we use it as a tool and how do we work within? Right. And how do we teach kids to interact, again, ethically and morally with this AI and with any AI they're going to come across? And, and, and have conversations with the individuals or the, or the groups that are creating the AI because this is not – Similar to Google, it's a work in progress. It's that's it's a process that's never done. And I think there is the more people that are involved in how the AI is constructed, the better off we are. 
And who's going to be involved, Larry? It's going to be the kids that are sitting in our classrooms right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're the ones who are yeah. going to be having those discussions. Yeah. It's not going to be us. All right. Anything else? Anything else for the good of the class? Hang on. Stop chat GPTing it. Oh, <laughs> I know. Every time He's he picks up his phone, every time you ask him a low-level question, Larry, he picks up his phone a to answer level. it. All I ask are low-level questions. <laughs> Just saying. I would say, too, while you're doing your thing with chat GPT, David, um, yes. John Spencer had some really good things on his Instagram, too, um, reactions to chat GPT that were phenomenal. So I'd recommend checking him out. Would you care to hear a, a poem that it wrote? Oh, I, go ahead. I, I asked for a non-rhyming poem using the symbolism of rain, and it had to include the phrase... Where did I put that? And it had to include the phrase, eyes wet like concrete after the rain. The rain falls like tears, a reminder of my loneliness. The sky is gray and bleak, a reflection of my inner bleakness. That cracked me up, first of all. <laughs> the raindrops patter on the ground, a sound that echoes my sorrow. My heart is heavy and my eyes are wet. Eyes wet like concrete after the rain. This is awful, right? I moved. Uh, the rain washes away my pain, but only for a moment. The loneliness returns, a feeling that will never be forgotten. And it goes on another little bit. Now, when we ask our kids to write poetry, we don't expect much. They're not poets. They could get away with that. That would pass by me and I'd be like, yep, they did it. <laughs> nice try. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's demonstrating demonstrating learning right no, there. No, it's not. No, but that that maybe leads us to like what kind what are the kinds of ways can we ask kids to do things that can demonstrate that learning, but doesn't involve them necessarily going to the computer for the first mm-hmm. piece. Like if I'm concerned about that, maybe I'll ask them to do something with a visual or with writing it down first or something else that might, uh, that might bypass that. Um, I did also find out that I can ask it things like, where's the best public parking in Grand Rapids? And it'll tell me best lot is uh, 645 Monroe Avenue. It has 527 free parking spaces and it's open 24 hours a day. So I don't have to like search for that. You know, I like I could go to the Grand Rapids City website, go to parking, blah, blah, blah. But if I just ask it, what's the best one? It tells me. It even told me what the requirements are to get a parking pass for West Senior High. I don't think Dave's going to have conversations with humans anymore. No. no. <laughs> In case no. you wanted it too, um, if you wanted the tech tools of the week, it gave me five of them. I've got tech tools of the week. I don't care Does about Does it include chat, GPT, all AI-powered chatbots and autonomous vehicles and quantum computing? I have useful things. <laughs> well, speaking, <laughs> speaking of tech tools of the ah. week. <laughs> In coming along with the theme of fun with AI, I found two tech tools that I want to share. The first one is Canva. has a text-to-image feature, which is really helpful. Um, I was building a fun little thing the other day, and I needed an image of a dog riding a bicycle. Rather than going to Google and searching for that, I typed it into the text-to-image in Canva, and it gave me a cute little graphic of a dog riding a bicycle, and I could pop that right into my Canva. I know. And Canva is free for educators, so it just adds on to why I love Canva. So check that out. That's That's a cool AI use. And then uh, the picture of this app, I'm terrible with plants. And picture this AI.com. It's free for seven days. And it's amazing because you can hold the camera over your houseplants and it will tell you 
what kind of houseplants they are, and why they are dying. Entirely worth the subscription. I will just say that. You know this one. I've had it for years. Yes, entirely worth the subscription. And why they are dying. And that's what happens in my world, yeah. So I completely support on that one. Yes. What do I say now? Oh, that's right. In closing, (laughs) you can find us on various social media platforms such as Actually, or is anybody even on Twitter? Are we still on Twitter? No, nope. I'm not. No, nope. nope. Same here. Nobody's on Twitter. Elon Instagram. Musk can have it. Mastodon. So you're on Insta. What are you on Insta as? One of my goals for the new year is to develop my Instagram portfolio and move my things over there. So coming soon. All right. All right. Well, look for Danielle Brostrom on Insta. Maybe. All right. Snapchat? No? No, TikTok? ew. No, ew. <laughs> Steffi's on TikTok, no, though. No. Go to Book Talk. She does that on TikTok. All right. Uh, You can find the podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Audible, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, Downcast, Overcast, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Thanks for listening and inspiring. I'm a robot. (laughs) Meow, meow.